You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Good morning, everyone. Everybody hear me okay? All right, good. You know, uh, Jesus is uh, engaged in a conflict, not, maybe not a conflict, but an uh, interchange with the leaders of his day, with the, with the uh, Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. And when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... We read of, of different versions or different uh, applications of the life of Jesus. For instance, Matthew will talk more about his role from the Old Testament perspective. And then uh, Mark talks probably more to the, Jew, uh, to the Roman in individuals who are looking for something precise and concise and has some governing aspects to it. And then, uh, Luke talks sort of the, to the common man. And when we come to the book of John, you'd think that John would be talking about, like he did in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, he'd be talking about love and the things that are sort of emo emoting from a person. But John is actually talking about more of the times when Jesus was in interchanges with the rulers of his day. Not so much conflict as he was simply talking about or discussing with them the different things that have to do with his father and with his will and with their position and what they were doing and should have been doing. Now this text is interesting to me, so interesting. Because first of all, he talks about he, he, he talks to them about the fact that they had heard John the Baptist. They'd actually gone out and heard him, seen him. Remember, John got on him pretty hard. At that time, he said, he said, you generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That, he was talking to these individuals, these men. And then he said, uh, you, you went out to John and you listened to him. He was talking to you. And he said, but I received not testimony from man. So Jesus is saying he didn't need John to verify who he was. Actually, John came to do a job, and the job was to get things ready for when Christ would come. And he said, John was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. He said, but I'm telling you these things so you can be saved. You can get out of your troubles. Then he said, but I have a greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father has given me to finish... The same works that I do. We know because we're familiar with what Jesus came to do. That Jesus came to save humanity. He came to offer himself on the cross. 
on the behalf of all of us and all of them and all of those who lived before them. But he said, you've never, never heard his voice. You haven't heard the voice of God. You, didn't, you haven't heard him. You neither heard his voice, nor at any time have you seen his shape. So they didn't know what he looked like. They had no concept of him. And they hadn't even been listening to him. And then at verse 38 he said, You have not his word abiding in you. You have not been listening to what he's been saying. You don't have his word abiding in you. For whom he sent, him you believe not. Because had they had his word abiding in them, they would have recognized this man that was standing before him was the Christ. They would have recognized him. Because the Old Testament was like a great big puzzle. All the different pieces in it of the prophet said, here's what he looked like this way. Another prophet said, here's what he looked like this way. On and on and on and on. Probably over 200 different representations of him. They said, here's what he looked like. And yet he said, you haven't seen him. You haven't seen him. Because you have not, what? You have not searched the scriptures. He said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Search the Scriptures. When Jesus is talking about the works which the Father had given him to finish, he's referring to those works that are recorded in the Scriptures. I'm going to emphasize that point. During his public and his private life, he continually referred to that which is written. Now, Matthew only uses this about 11 times, but Matthew does talk about, that is, Jesus referring to, Matthew records, Jesus is referring to that about 11 times, but uh, Matthew does record about 65 instances of Old Testament references that would identify Christ. He's, he has more than any, any others. Now, what he's talking about are words. He said, he said you don't know the Scriptures. You, you, you should be searching the Scriptures because if you search the Scriptures, you'd see me. But they weren't seeing him. He's standing right in front of them, of course. And he did all these different things that the Scriptures said would identify him, and yet they, they couldn't see him. They could not see him. You know, I'm going to talk to you this morning about Scripture and about words. Boy, don't we know that words are important? I'm using them right now. And I'm communicating with you. And when you refer, talk back to me or when you reference what I'm saying and you reply, then, then we're communicating. Now, God has always communicated with His creatures, His creation, through words. The, the one thing that's to start with, that distinguishes the different orders of animal life are words. Lower forms of animals do not have words. They may have signals, they may have squeaks, they may have squawks, they may have howls, they may have a lot of things that, you'll, that will tell you a lot about them and how they're feeling, but they don't have words. When a baby is born, it will eventually learn on its own, if you left it alone, how to crawl. 
it would eventually learn how to get up and stand up and walk. Ours did, and I'm sure yours did too, if you had any children. If you've been around children, you were a child yourself. Nobody had to teach you how to crawl. Nobody had to teach you how to walk. But I'll tell you what they had to do. They had to teach you how to talk. Did you know that? You have to be taught how to talk. And you have the capacity to talk. So then when you start talking, you begin to communicate. Boy, I, w I was sure anxious for my kids to be able to talk in sentences. I wanted them to tell me how they felt and what was going on and what they liked and didn't like. That's what I wanted. So I could relate to them. And I'm sure you did the same thing. If you had children, you'd be around children. As a child, you, you felt the same way. God has communicated with us through words. And we're going to talk about the fact that He communicated through the Scriptures. And that's what Jesus is saying to these men. He said, you haven't heard the voice of God. You never heard His voice. Why? Because He said, you, you've been searching the Scriptures, but you haven't been listening. You haven't been listening. God created, let's talk about words just a minute. God created heaven and earth with words. Think with me, please. Genesis, record, Genesis records that God said. Now you think about it. It doesn't say God molded. It doesn't say God contrived. It doesn't say God amassed or God put together. It says God said. What did he say? Let there be earth. Let there be light. And it happened. He just said it. Let me tell you something about the power of words. He said, let there be, and it was. You don't see God sitting back in his workshop, tinkering around trying to figure out how to make the earth. He just said it. Let there be dry land. Guess what? There it was. Let there be water. There was. Clouds. There was. Lights in the sky. The sun. The solar system. He just said it. And there it was. We cannot overestimate, my friend, the power of words. We cannot overestimate it. Jesus told those of us who read the last book in the Bible when He talked to the seven churches of Asia. You know what He said? Let him that hears understand. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to these words. So, when we talk about the Word of God, we have to talk about the fact that we have to hear what God has said in communicating to us. On another significant occasion, Ezekiel the prophet wrote about the dry bones of Israel. Have you ever heard that song? Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Well, that, that comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. Let me read the text. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel talking. He's a prophet. He's a spokesman for God. He, he was one that spoke God's words. So he said, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which is full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about and behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. Dry bones. 
He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. God spoke directly to Moses. We know that from the word of God. He spoke directly to Moses to speak to Israel at Mount Sinai, and on occasion, his voice was heard from heaven. And what he told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear the words. There's a reason for this. There's a reason why we have to hear the words of God. There's a direct reason for that. On some occasion, in the New Testament record that we have, he spoke at John's baptism, broke the, shattered the silence of heaven, and spoke. When Jesus was baptized of John, a voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Basically, that's what he said. I'm pleased with him. He's my boy. And then on another occasion, in Matthew chapter 17, he spoke to Peter, James, and John from a mountain. And he said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. That's the time when he said, Hear ye, hear ye him. And Peter referred back to this. He said, We heard that voice from heaven in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 18. He said, We, we actually heard that voice. Okay. Let me see if I can get something here. The, the way God spoke to people to start with was orally. He just spoke. But He spoke through a spokesman. Now that's interesting to me. I don't know how He did it. Obviously, God knows a great deal more than we do about things like this. But God actually spoke through that individual using their background, using their vocabulary. That's why you have different... It, for instance, when you look at the different prophets, they have different distinguishing marks in their vocabulary because God was using, by the Holy Spirit, He was using their vocabulary to say what He wanted to say. But here, of course, he, He's using an orator. And he, uses, he uses different ones. He, he uses, for instance, the voice of Moses and the prophets. But let's just start with Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of, you, of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear. So Moses is saying, I've been speaking to you. God's been speaking to you through me. You'll get another one. Of course, he's talking about Jesus coming. In Deuteronomy 18, he's talking about Jesus coming. When you're reading the Bible, oh, it's fun to read the Old Testament, really. You say, well, some of these long lists of names and, and people and genealogies, I get bogged down in that. Well, I do too. I get bogged down in your genealogy. I, 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 it's hard for me to keep names straight and family straight and so forth. Okay, but it's fun to read the Old Testament, but actually it's really interesting because there are gems hidden back there talking about Jesus. And here's one of them, Deuteronomy chapter 15. All of a sudden, your eyes get bright and say, I, I know who he's talking about. Talking about Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 6 at verse 8, here's another prophet. And he's, he's going to speak orally. He's just going to speak. He's not going to write anything. He's going to speak. Just like this guy that you see. 
He's standing up. And, and you know, we've been doing this, this for centuries and centuries and centuries. That's the way God started out talking to people is through orators, through the prophets, through Moses. Okay. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? What was going on was that the people of Israel were, were getting themselves into a spot. They were, they, were going, they were going sour, basically, what we would call going south. They were going the wrong direction. They should have been coming toward God and they were going the other way. Okay, and so God is trying to get them arrested. Stop, stop this, stop them. And as, as a matter of fact, in this particular text, it talks about four living creatures that, that are called seraphim at that point. Anyway, he's talking about the different ones with the different characteristics. And uh, he's talking about the fact that my people are getting going away. And he's saying, who can I send to get them stopped? And of course, the first thing Isaiah said was, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't talk to them. I'm as dirty as they are. And God sent a hot coal down to touch his lips, to purify his lips. Anyway, anyway it says... Uh, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then guess what? Isaiah stood up and said, Here am I. Send me. Okay. What he was going to send him to do was go talk. Go talk, tell these people their sins and get them to come back. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 says, God who at sundry times in divers manners spoke unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. God spoke to the people by the prophets, but now he's spoken by his son. But he's speaking by the prophets. And in Second Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it doesn't belong to anybody in particular. It's their possession. It's not. He said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay. These are the orators. They were speaking the word of God. Moses, when he spoke, he spoke on the behalf of God. God was speaking through him by the Holy Spirit. And then, it was committed in a permanent, down to a permanent form. So it could be memorialized. We'll, we'll call it memorialized, okay? So the prophets committed their message into a permanent form by writing them. Do we know the importance of words? We do. One of the, one of the greatest efforts that mankind makes, all nations make, is to preserve what's being written by their fellow man. In libraries, vast libraries that have hundreds of thousands of books. There, there, there's libraries in Paris, France, in the Louvre. There's, there's an ancient library in Alexandria that had thousands and thousands of volumes of books that were destroyed by war, and some are still being destroyed. There are libraries, Library of Congress in this country. People understand that we need to preserve words because words communicate ideas, and we're Full of, should be full of ideas and full of notions. So God had the prophets put their words down in writing. They wrote them down. And that was called Scripture. That's, the, that's what it's called, Scripture. 
The prophets committed them to writing. In Romans chapter 9, verse 17, Bible scholars, if you got your Bibles out, you should have them because that's a precious commodity for you. I'm going to tell you something happened, and I'll let you look at it with me. In Romans 9, 17, the Apostle Paul looks back at an occasion that happened in Egypt before Israel came out of Egyptian bondage and went to their homeland. Uh, a uh, exchange that took place between Moses and Pharaoh. Now here's what he said. Here's what, here's what Paul said in Romans. Romans 9.17, he said, For the Scripture said unto Pharaoh. I'm going to pause just a minute and let that soak in. For the Scripture said unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Did Moses take a book, a scroll, to Pharaoh when he talked to him? He must have. But the text in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16 says he just came in and talked to him. And that's what he said. In all likelihood, he had already written it down. In all likelihood, Moses had already written it down before he went in to talk to Pharaoh about it. Okay, that's just, just this little aside for you. Now, let's look at some other texts. We're talking about the oral word being committed to graphics in order to write it, in other words, writing it down. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he has promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Okay. So the prophets made the promises and wrote them down, and it's called the Scripture. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Search the Scriptures. He isn't saying, go ask your friend something, and they can tell you. He wasn't saying, go get somebody's rumor and bring the rumor back. He wasn't saying, go get a messenger and let the messenger come tell you what he thinks it is, or she thinks it is. He's saying, search the Scriptures. Okay. He's not, asking, he's not asking for a myth. He's not asking for a legend. He's not asking for an oral tradition. He's saying, find where it is written. These prophets wrote this down. They heard the word of God from heaven. They spoke the word of God from heaven. And then they wrote it down. And that's what the Bible calls the Scripture. And in Romans 16, verse 25 and 26, Paul said, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. The mystery, of course, was that God was going to save the world by the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. He said, But now it's made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. How are all nations going to be made known, or is it going to be made known to all nations, that God is going to save them? By the scriptures of the prophets. Do not underestimate the voice of the Old Testament prophets, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Because that's called 
scripture. And that scripture then was converted into or written on what are called scrolls. Okay? I think I've mentioned to you before some of the length of some of these scrolls. You remember the old boy over in uh, Acts chapter 8, the, uh, the eunuch from Ethiopia? He was riding along in his chariot. He carried with him a, a, a novel. It wasn't really a novel. He carried with him a big book. He was reading from the book of Isaiah. They, they call it a book. It's a scroll. He was reading from Isaiah. 26 foot long that thing was. 26 feet long. And so the first thing he said to, to uh, when Philip joined him at the chariot, Philip said, what are you reading? And the, the man said, uh, it's, I, I, I'm what I'm reading, I cannot, except some man should guide me. I don't know what he's saying. Then he quoted, he read from Isaiah. And Philip knew exactly what he's reading from. You know why? Because Philip was familiar with the scriptures. He didn't give him a chapter and verse. He just knew where it was. They knew where it was. Every Saturday they heard these scriptures read in the synagogues. They talked about them. They wrote them on their doorposts. They wrote them. In, they put them on post-its all over their house. Everybody knew what the scriptures were saying. They knew them. These were scrolls. The individual writings were correct, collected together into what were called these were called books, but they're actually scrolls. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, verse 4, it says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, rose up early in the morning, and built an altar on the hill in twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Moses wrote them all down. You know, uh, linguistic scholars, and biblical scholars, usually believe that Moses is the one who wrote the book of Genesis. That, that, of course, all that happened before Moses came along. But in all likelihood, because of the linguistic similarities between Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these five books, of course, they're bound together in generally one volume among the Jewish readers today. It's called the Torah, the law. It's five books of the Old Testament. But Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Exodus 24, verse 7, he says, He took the book of the covenant. The book of the covenant. He, he's talking about a scroll. He's not talking about what we think about, and I'll show you in just a minute what we think about is a book. But he took the book of the covenant and read the audience of the people and said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. So he read it. It, it had been written down. Deuteronomy 28, 58, he said, if you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book. So he had spent his time writing. It took 40 years during the time they were in the wilderness. But he wrote all of this down. That's massive. That's massive. In Isaiah chapter 34 verse 16. Isaiah is making the... Uh, God is through Isaiah encouraging Isaiah to tell the people that they need to read their Bibles. That's what he's saying. Seek you out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fall, none shall, mate, shall want her mate. For my mouth it has commanded, and his spirit it has gathered them. So Isaiah has written all these things down as well. And the book of the Lord was collected apparently. And he's saying, God is telling Isaiah, read this to them. 
They need to under, they need to read the book. And you say, why? We're going to tell you in just a minute why. Okay, in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1, when the children of Israel had gone into bondage for 70 years. Bonnie says 40. No, they went in for 70 years. <laughs> they went into Egypt, went into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. When they came home, a couple of fellows helped them get home to start rebuilding their communities. And one of these fellows was named Ezra. He was a priest. He carried his books with him. He carried all the scrolls with him. Probably had a big cart full of them. And Nehemiah came back and he was sort of a governor. And he was, he was able to help them organize themselves. But in Nehemiah chapter 8 at verse 1 it says, All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra did. And they started reading this thing and they read from morning till night. They read it. They just read it. Okay. Now that's the scroll. And they wrote, they wrote it down. And that's called the scriptures. I don't have a piece of paper. But I'd like to show you. with a, if a, Let's see if I've got an actual piece. Well, hand me that bulletin. Yeah. I, I was going to bring you a sheet of paper to show you how this works. But this, this works. This works kind of. Not, not completely. But the way, they, the way books first started out is this way. So I folded it like that. Okay, now that you have four pages. Page one, two, three, four. All right? They use bigger sheets. And that's what this is. It's called a folio. So when we're talking about books, we're talking about the development of writing material and how it's bound up and, and held together. So this was the first form of a book in modern civilization that we have that, it, that has come down to us and that then came into this form where you have actual individual pages and then they bind them all to right on the face, the front and the back, then they bind them together with cords. That's called a book as well. Now the Word of God has come down to us in this current form, this form that we have right here, in a book that you hold in your hand. Timothy was told how valuable this book, and let's call it a book, it's not a scroll anymore to us, it's a book. He told us, Paul told Timothy just how valuable this book was. He says that from a child, he told him, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Don't discount the Old Testament because it makes you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It leads you to Jesus. That's what it's for. It was our law, the law was our master, was our, was our guide to bring us, or tutor to bring us unto Christ. And then he said, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for the doctrine, for reproof, correction, and, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, the, the New Testament wasn't always referred to as scripture, but we know that it is. 
Now, Peter did refer to Paul's writing as scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 15 and 16. When he says, as account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our brother, as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. So he's calling Paul's writing scripture. Okay. The Scripture is the Word of God, Old and New Testament. And, and, and here, let me, let me just say this as plainly as I can. We have to be very careful about the Scriptures because they are, they are eternal. Now they've come down to us, God has brought them down to us, and we have them now, and we've been given warnings that we're not to... Not to uh, alter them. They were given warnings about it, about it in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29-29, that uh, the things that are secret belong to the Lord our God, but things that are revealed belong to us, us or our children, that we, that we may do all the things that God has commanded us. And then the last book in the, in the Bible, in our Bible, is Revelation chapter 22, and it talks about not adding to or taking from the Scriptures. Okay. Now the reason why, Jesus stated it very plainly. He makes a statement taking from Psalms 82 and at verse 6. And this statement is found in John 10, 35. The text says, He called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. Now that's how eternal and that's how stable the scripture is. And the reason being, the reasons being, that the scriptures produce something that no other writing can. I know we can read books that inspire us. We can hear people tell us stories that enthuse us. We can be lifted up. We can be depressed. We can be elevated. We can be set on fire by other writings. But the Word of God does something more to us than anything else does. The Word of God produces life. Produces life. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 23 it says, We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. We are born again, born again of the Word of God. And in James 1 and verse 18, it says, Of His own will He begot us with the word of truth. That's how we're born into the kingdom of God. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Our life comes through, our life with God comes through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives us life. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. And Jesus is the source of life. He's the source of life. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, the text says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, 
let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now that's taken from Zechariah 14 at verse 8. That's the scripture. But the point is, he's saying, that the, that the waters that come from him, living waters that come from Jesus, produce life. And he says, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So the way you become alive and the way you stay alive with God is through the Word. You say, well, it's through Jesus. Yes. But Jesus can only enter your life through His Word. That's the, that's the vehicle by which Jesus comes into your heart. That's why the Scriptures are so, so, so important. Because it's the vehicle of life. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives by the Scriptures. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, He's talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of Him and He would have given you living water. Living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's deep, and where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and he drank himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. And then let's tack on that John 6, 63. It is a spirit that quickens. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit that gives you life. But listen. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The spirit quickens, gives you life, but it's the words, he said, that do it. It's the scripture. This is the imagery that's found in... Revelation chapter 22 at verse 1 and 2. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, water and life. It bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded their fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. That's from Zechariah 14 at verse 8. Water of life. The Scriptures, think about it. The Scriptures carry in their current the Spirit of God and the life that we have in Jesus Christ. The Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Spirit, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's how the Spirit comes into our lives. When you open this book, see if I can find one, the Bible. When you open the book, get ready. 
because you're going to be energized. It's going to be electrifying. It's going to reach into your, the very depths of your soul and it's going to touch you like no other word on earth can touch you. It's going to do things for you that nothing else can do for you. It's going to, it's going to bring you to life. If you get sad, it's going to make you happy. If you get down, if you get down, it's going to lift you up. If you get thirsty, it's going to fill your thirst. If you get confused, it's going to put you on the straight road. This Word, the Word of God in the Bible, is the manna of life. It's life itself. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Why? Because without the Word of God, we don't have life. Without the Scripture, we have no life. We have nothing to feed our souls. If you get lost in the dark, open the book. The light comes on. If, if you're lonely, open the book because there's someone who will come in there who will keep you company. And it's good company. If you, if you get confused, if you, if you wander around not knowing where to go, open the book. It will take you home. It will bring you home with, without a doubt. You do always need the Word of God. And when you read it, it does wonderful things to you. It charges you up. It energizes you. It electrifies you. It gives you life. Life itself. And so, I want to leave you with this caution, this warning. The warning that Jesus made to the people that he met at that day, he said, they asked him a question, he said, you do err. You're making a big mistake, he said. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. The scriptures contain the dynamite of God. Don't err. Don't close your book. Open that book and enjoy the benefits of the book that will give you life. It will give you courage. It will give you dignity. It will feed your soul. It will lift your spirit. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. And the Word reveals Him to us. Let's sing the song of invitation.